0: An exploitable hole in Microsoft open source code, a simpler take on delivery scams, and a fix for Apple's Face ID. All that and more, it's the Naked Security Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. I'm Doug. That's Paul. Hello, folks. All the weather outside. I don't know where you are if it's doing this, but the weather here is turning from a nice hot summer into a nice, mild, temperate fall. And I bring that up because we do like to start the show with a fun fact. And the fun fact for this week is that earlier this year, researchers at Purdue University announced that they had developed a paint so white that it could reflect 98% of radiation from the sun's rays effectively absorbing less heat from the sun than the paint itself emits, thus positioning it as a potentially viable alternative to traditional air conditioning. The paint is so white. How white is it, Doug? It's so white that this week it earned a spot in the Guinness World Records as the world's whitest paint. So imagine, I know you guys don't have a lot of air conditioning there in the UK, but imagine painting your roof with this white paint and having cool summer days, even when it's blazingly hot outside.
1: Wow. so more reflective than snow. Yes, which I believe of natural substances has the highest is albedo. The right word, the, the the amount of light that it scatters back. I went out just after midnight. It was the harvest moon, and it was absolutely gorgeous. Doug. Oh, lovely! I went out yeah. For a bike ride, it was a very, very open space with very little light pollution. About ten k's from where I live, and I went out there. I've never seen the moon so bright. It was quite amazing. I had all my lights off, just riding along, and amazingly it was actually bright enough that you could perceive colour. Because you know, normally at night you really see everything in black and white. I could see the trees were various greens, the river was kind of greenish blue. I, I've never experienced a full moon like it.
0: It is a lovely time of year to be sure, unless you're Microsoft, who again is in the news, or Apple, who again <laughs> well,
1: A is programmer at Microsoft who is never ever going to be allowed to hear the end of this, I reckon. (laughs) And uh, this is a Linux
0: bug that boils down to what you call a laughably easy trick, as you say.
1: Yes, this was intriguing because it was one of the remote code execution bugs fixed in September 2021, Patch Tuesday. But because it was on Linux, because it was this Linux management tool that most people probably thought they didn't have, because it's probably been updated by your Linux distro anyway by now, didn't get a lot of publicity because, of course, the big story was that MS HTML bug that was being exploited in the wild. The Internet Explorer core rendering bug. Would they make a patch in time? Would they not? They did. Wow. That got all the news. And this one was just like a, a lesser remote code execution hole, if there is such a thing. So it wasn't in the wild. That's the good news. but. Doug, the reason I'm saying that the programmer may have to change their name and move to another planet, basically, as I understand it, it's a a web request you can make to the OMI. It's basically like the open source version of WMI, the Windows Management Interface, where you can communicate with another server. And if you have the right level of administrativity, you can actually find out what's going on on the server and reconfigure and control all the stuff on it and in a sort of cross-platform way. So it's a very useful but very powerful tool. And of course, when you're connecting remotely via HTTPS, then you will need an authentication token in your web request. As everybody knows, that's going to be absolutely vital Mm -hmm. so that you can prove that at some point you authenticated yourself properly, probably with a username and a password and maybe a 2FA token and all of that stuff. Now, if you took an existing request and tried to reuse an old web token, won't work. If you try and guess the web token, far too much variation for you to get the guess right. But if you deliberately avoided referring to authentication at all, you just left out all the header parts that said, I really am allowed to come here. It's like you're coming to passport control. Turn up without a passport. Look straight ahead. Don't look left don't look right, don't attract any attention, walk straight through. Walk straight <laughs> through. <Yep. laughs> and that was the bug. Shouldn't laugh, but fortunately, I'd imagine it's a fairly easy one to fix, and that was the nature of this bug. Okay. Like I said, I shouldn't laugh, but sometimes bad things happen. Uh, because it's OMI, Open Management Interface, and because the bug was so jaw-droppingly good slash bad, the people that found it dubbed it oh my god exclamation point perfect so if you see a reference to the, the oh my god bug in the omi product the good news is it's patched the bad news is that at least with some azure unix server installs some of the add-ons install this omi component without asking it's kind of like a, a secret part of some of the azure services that you choose so, if you've downloaded it, compiled it, installed it yourself on your Linux platform, which is easy enough, you'll know you've got it. If you've installed it through your Linux distro, say Red Hat or Debian or something like that, then your distro will update it. But the point is, you need to go and check whether you've got it anyway, because if you're just using Azure and you're letting it set the system up for you, and then picking from a bunch of various Azure services that you can add on, you might have got this software without realizing it. And you want to make sure that you don't have the old version and you need, I think, 1.6.8.1 of OMI or later.
0: Can I ask a related but unrelated question? How would you explain the concept of tokenization in plain English?
1: Like, How does a token work? Well, Doug, the idea of an authentication token is you can think of it loosely as a kind of session password. So up front, you might be required to prove your identity afresh in a a fairly complete way. So you might need to provide a username and a password and some 2FA token code that's for that one-time login. And then you get a magic randomized sequence of digits that identify you for the rest of that session. For example, if you are using the Sophos Intellix service, you can actually register for that for free and get quite a lot of free lookups for things like Is this URL malicious? Is this file dangerous? Can you run this file in the sandbox and tell me whether it's bad? That's a web service that we have that gives you API access to Sophos products. In the first place, when you want to do a sequence of requests, you have to provide your full username and password. And then for the next hour, you get this string of characters that you can just put into your requests so that you don't have to re authenticate from scratch every time. And then after an hour, that expires and you have to go through the full identification again. So you can think of it as the idea of getting into a secure building. You might be asked to show a passport and a driving license and get your mugshot taken for posterity, and then you might be given a pin code and a door card that lets you into various doors. So that's the idea of an authentication token. It's like a session identifier that proves that you're identified strongly at some point and therefore allows you access to various internal features and services so long as it's valid.
0: So kind of like a music festival with multiple stages, you have different colored wristbands and the color of your wristband dictates where you where you can go, your general admission, and that you're over 21 so you can drink the beer, but you can't go in the VIP lounge, that kind of stuff.
1: So that wristband, that act as, a, as an age authenticator, did it?
0: Let's say you had purple, that would mean you were of age and you were a VIP. If you had green, that would mean you were of age and general admission. But if you had a blue, that would mean you were not of age and general admission, that kind of stuff.
1: The places that I used to go to did it differently is that there were no wristbands in those days. They just used a a stamp and they'd go and get a, a different rubber stamp made at the rubber stamp company every week. So you couldn't learn from last week's and go and make a duplicate. Sometimes they would make them so they were symmetrical. And what you do is you get someone to go and get the stamp and then they come rushing out and then you press your arms together yep. as hard as you can and hold <laughs> them steady. Yeah. and get, If they come out quickly enough before the ink dried, mm-hmm. you get two lukewarm prints that you could just say, yep. oh, I've been sweating a lot. Yep. You couldn't do more than two. Then they caught on to the idea that what we should do is we should have letters that don't make sense backwards. <laughs> Ah, yes, that's brilliant. <laughs> and then when you take the one person gets a mirror image, so then they can bust you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So there's a bit more cryptographic subtlety, supposedly, in the authentication tokens that you use in the web. But in this case, you could have had 1 million bit encryption and 2,000 megabyte long tokens for all it mattered because provided that you showed up wearing no wristbands at all, mm-hmm you'd have access all areas.
0: Waddle right through. Okay, we've got a lot of good work done in this first segment that is, oh my god, an exploitable hole in Microsoft open source code on nakedsecurity.sophos.com. And from one kind of laughably easy trick to another, we have this courier scam that doesn't try to get you to fork over any money, but is kind of deceptively simple in uh, its methods.
1: Indeed, Doug, we speak about courier or home delivery scams quite frequently these days with good reason on the Naked Security podcast. And we know that the crooks have been delighted by this because they can kind don't even need to guess what courier company it is. They can just pick some courier company. It's probably one you've heard of. And even if you haven't, well, if you're ordering something from a company you haven't bought from before, you don't necessarily know what courier company they're going to use. And in recent times, the ones we've spoken about have been those scams that go, you know what? Your article's ready. We came to deliver it. You weren't home. Schedule redelivery. $1 next three days for $3, we'll deliver it tomorrow at a time to suit yourself. Mm -hmm. How would you like to do it? So there's this idea that they're asking you to pay, which means that you have to commit to putting in a credit card number. But they're making it feel like even if it is a scam, who minds losing $1? except as we've said many times, they're not going to bill you a dollar. They're going to sell your credit card number to somebody else who's going to use your credit card to buy things that cost a heck of a lot more than a dollar and probably more than one thing that costs a heck of a lot more than a dollar. So I think people have learned pretty quickly that when it asks me for $1 or £2.99 to re-deliver something which it's their duty to deliver anyway, people have got sceptical of that. So these guys have just gone back to the basics. They've sent a, a very—I think you'll agree with me—it's a perfectly believable email. My my assumption is that they've simply copied a legitimate email that a g- genuine courier company would send. Same nice, simple formatting, and they've just said, "Yeah, the delivery's on the way. Here's the way, Bill.
0: Yeah, you know me—I love a good—I uh, I love a good critique of these scam emails. And this one, aside from the Probably unnecessary exclamation points in the subject and the the first line of the actual notification. It says, incoming package notification! But
1: yeah, it's very undramatic, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It, It's almost professionally boring, if you know what I mean. There are no spelling mistakes. It just says, you can contact us if you want, but here's your way bill.
0: Okay, so I click through this to this way bill, and what happens when I click the the download? It says, download the
1: way bill and, and confirm your delivery details. And that's all it's saying. It's not saying we're going to need your birthday. We're going to need a credit card number. There's something to pay. The next bit, to be honest, you should spot. It's like a, a track and trace page for a legit courier company. They've obviously ripped off the web page. It's HTTPS URL, but obviously the domain name is, is it's some site that I guess they've hijacked for this purpose. In the background, there is a way bill that's obviously what you're going to access, but it's blurred out quote, for security reasons. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just asks, it got your company name in there, blah, 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 company name verification, and wants you to sign in with a work email password. You should figure there's no place for that. Mm-hmm. But it's perfectly believable. It's perfectly simple. You put in your password. You get some kind of error. It says there was a timeout. Try again. You try again. But it basically fails by redirecting you to your own company's web page. You think, whoa, what happened there? by which time it's too late. Ironically, the, in the background, of, like I said, of the, of, the, of the fake login screen, there is a way bill. And these crooks have obviously set up, they've got a whole load of servers, presumably that they've hacked, that they use as the landing pages for capturing the passwords. And then they have a, a central server, Sophos products block these, so you, you shouldn't get affected by this. But the central server actually has a whole load of images that they can obviously share across multiple scams, And it actually is a waybill from a genuine courier company. But it's one of those sample waybills. So they don't want you to see that. So they've blurred it out. And in fact, if you go in with, say, Firefox developer tools, and you open the HTML for that part of the page, and you get the CSS, it's actually got a blur operator on it that blurs that bit. And if you unblur it, you actually see this fake waybill uh, in the background. Oh, wow.
0: So it's not a blurred blurred image. They went through the trouble of blurring it with CSS, which makes it...
1: They couldn't be bothered to blur it on the server huh. they download the regular image and then they let they make your browser blur it huh. for you, assuming that most people don't know how to unblur it yeah a naked security reader or listener who's got their wits about them let's be honest you shouldn't fall for this but it's just the fact that they've decided let's rewind time and let's not try and do what everyone else has been doing for the last year of saying, "Ooh, terrible thing happened. We weren't able to deliver your all important new tires for your bicycle or whatever it was." They just said, "Delivery's on the way. Download waybill." Just like the old days. Yeah. It's actually very much less suspicious than a lot of people are probably watching out for.
0: And just a little credential harvesting. I mean, that can lead to much bigger and better prizes for these crooks. It's relatively simple scam. You Absolutely. Get... Yeah.
1: The reason they're going for your email password is for many people, that's the key to all the other castles, isn't it? Once you've got the email password, you can start fooling other people inside the company because you can send spoofed emails that actually come from someone in the company, what we call business email compromise, often known as CEO or CFO fraud. And you can do password resets on loads of other accounts that belong to that user, whether they're work accounts or private accounts.
0: Okay, so what can people do? And I'm guessing we do have an event that we can promote as well.
1: Indeed, not our event, uh, a sort of worldwide event. The first tip, Doug, as always, check those URLs. That is the absolute giveaway in this case. Now, the crooks, they could register a domain that was close to and almost like a courier company. That's a bit more effort because there aren't an infinite number of sound alike or typo squatty words out there. In this case, the URL, even though it's HTTPS, the URL clearly doesn't match a career company. And most importantly, when it comes to, to critical logins like company email, make sure you know what that page is supposed to look like. So an obviously fake one would be obviously fake. And it has one and only one URL or domain name that it should ever have. And as long as you remember to check that every time, you kind of won't get caught. The second tip, we've said this often before, but I do like to remind people of this, is generally speaking, although it is less convenient, you rarely need to rely on click to download the waybill links that come in emails. You could have a bookmark that takes you to the courier company's website. You go through the login process manually. It's slightly more annoying, but if you ignore those links and you take the few seconds of extra hassle, you lose a little bit of convenience but you can't get tricked by fake ones. Easy as that. Mm -hmm. And the last advice is really, if you like, a a agglomeration of those two, which is saying, go the extra step, take the extra few seconds. And that is a little theme tune, if you like, that comes from Cybersecurity Awareness Month, which was started many years ago by the public service in the US. It's now a a worldwide thing. There's a European one. There's an American and a Canadian one happening October 2021. Their little three-word motto is stop, dot, think, dot, connect, dot. And if when you're about to go, hey, I want to see the bill, I'm going to click the link. If you actually do stop and even say aloud or under your breath, stop, think, connect, and take the time to put in the pauses that the periods prescribe, so you say stop, pause. Think. Think, pause, connect, connect. pause. Um, you will probably save yourself a lot of heartache because you will not rush in where angels fear to tread.
0: I will add, as I often do to stories like these, a good password manager could go a long way here because it would automatically create a unique password for every site service that you use. So if you did happen to accidentally hand over your credentials here, you would only need to change your password on one site.
1: And you would have the benefit from most password managers that when the incorrect URL came up for Mm -hmm. the courier site, your password manager would go, I don't even know what that is. It wouldn't go, hey, that's a courier company. Would you like me to find a courier password? Mm -hmm. It'll just go, sorry, mate, I cannot help you. I've never heard of them before. I don't have a password for that site.
0: Yes, sir. Okay, that is called back to basics as courier scammers skip fake fees, and missed deliveries on NakedSecurity.Sofos.Com. Now, a uh, segment very close to my heart this week is This Week in Tech History. This week, on September 23, 2008, the world's first Android phone was released. It was called the T-Mobile G1, and it featured a 3.2-inch flip-out screen that revealed a full hardware keyboard. It also had a trackball and no standard headphone jack. Early reviews were mixed but hopeful. Thanks to Android's relatively open nature, and the G1 went on to sell a million handsets in six months, and at one point accounted for two-thirds of devices on T-Mobile's 3G network. Now Paul, from a personal level, aside from the danger hiptop, which was also known as the T-Mobile sidekick, which shared a similar form factor, the T-Mobile G1 is probably my favorite nostalgia phone, and just so people don't think I'm hating on Apple, I believe the iPhone 4S to be about as close to phone perfection as Apple ever got so. That's definitely in my top three as well. So, I would say my three favorite nostalgia phones of all time were the Hip Top, the G1, and then the 4S. So, I, I loved this phone when it came out. It was a little rough around the edges, but the hardware was unique. I loved that it had a keyboard and that you could flip out under the, the face of the phone. And I just, I, it was a very exciting time in my life before all phones were just big rectangles. This was a, a time when. Phones were really, really interesting. And I just remember really loving this phone so that came out this week, a, a billion years ago.
1: Before 2008, I had a phone. It had the weirdest name in the world. It was called the Jazz Jar or the Jazz Jam. Not the Jam Jar. I used to call it my <laughs> Jam Jar. And it was the ugliest. Thickest, weirdest phone in the world ran Windows C E if you. Oh remember that, yes. Which was really awful. You needed a stylus to operate yep. it. But it was quite good as a phone. The voice quality was absolutely fine, even if it was a bit chunky. But you could slide the screen open mm-hmm. and there was a full size wide rectangular keyboard underneath, which was I could type on really well. And yeah. best of all, because like nobody really developed anything for Windows CE, You could just download the Visual C compiler toolkit for it and write your own code. Unfortunately, you couldn't port regular Windows code because a lot of things in Win32 didn't work in WinCE. Yeah. But for emails, that was by far the best typing phone, better than any BlackBerry I ever had. Yep. And beautiful little screen. The battery lasted for ages. should have because it weighed a ton. The only problem was this was just at the cusp of 3G coming out. Mm-hmm. And the model that I managed to acquire did not have any 3G. So it was all... What was before the thing that was before 3G? Edge. It was, it was like the old dial-up modem days, only worse. <laughs> so it was basically when someone sent me a big HTML email, it was A, slow, and B, cost quite a fortune. I had a lot of time for those slidey phones. Yeah, I'd love with their those. Real I miss keyboards. those. I do not miss Windows C, Doug.
0: No, no. I had I had one of those phones.
1: Every phone was a bit different then, wasn't it? Yeah. And then out came the iPhone. And like you say, it's a bunch well, this of rectangles. It's got a bigger notch. This one has a screen that comes not just to the edges, but wraps around the edges. Mm
0: hmm. Well, you would have loved this phone because. Uh, not until Android 1.5 did they actually have a software keyboard because it would just slide up and you would oh you could only use the hardware keyboard you could not there was no software keyboard to speak of.
1: How do we live before emojis, Doug?
0: Exactly, I know you had to you had to make the smiley face with a with a with a colon and a parentheses. Well, let's stick with the phone theme here and we have a fix for Apple's Face ID. So as everyone knows, you need a head for Face ID to work, uh, but it turns out. It didn't really need to be a real head.
1: Yes, this was a rather surprising story. Obviously, everyone's writing today about iOS 15. It's finally come out because you can actually, I don't know about in the US, but in the UK, you can order the iPhone 13 and I think you get it on Friday. For some reason, Apple, like every other vendor these days, call it pre-ordering. Mm-hmm. Uh, I call it ordering. When you, <laughs> you pay are, the money and they say giving in three them days you yes. <laughs> get it. It's an order, right? Yep. Pre-order is where you say, look, I'll slip you 10 bucks to get on the list. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyway, obviously, if there's going to be an iPhone 13 at the end of the week, iOS 15 needs to drop in advance and it's arrived. And of course, most of the stories are talking about the new features in it. Apple are talking them up, as you would expect. They've got every right to do so. However, at the same time as iOS 15 brand new, and I'm using air quotes there arriving, Apple pushed out iOS 15's first security notification email, and there's a link on Apple's security page, because even though it's brand new in general public-facing terms, It's not brand new in terms of all the pre-release versions that have been out there while the bugs are out and while vendors like Sophos were making sure their code worked. Ours does, by the way. If you have Sophos, any of the Sophos mobile products for iOS, when you upgrade from iOS 14 to iOS 15, they will just work. So stand down from blue alert if you were worried. But you kind of imagine that because it's announced as the new iOS, that its first listed security patches will be, let's say, in a month or a few weeks time. Not so. The security bulletin for iOS 15, you can find it's Apple HT21814, which lists 22 vulnerabilities that have been patched, including 10 of them that could lead to what we all know is a very bad thing RCE, remote code execution. And two of those weren't just any old remote code execution, which might get you user or root access, they could actually let you implant code in the kernel itself. So that's usually, if exploitable, the core to a complete jailbreak of the phone. So surprise, surprise, all these bugs in iOS noted in a security notification on the day it came out. And so I was looking through these and my eye was caught not by the remote code execution exploits, but by CVE-2021-30863. And this is a bug found by researchers in China against Apple's Face ID and the description. It's as exciting as you can ever get in this prose of Apple's. You know, you think they would have gone large on this because it's quite fascinating. But the way they've worded it is a 3D model constructed to look like the enrolled user may be able to authenticate via Face ID. Mm. Basically, Doug, fake heads. Yes. Who would have thought? Um, Because I don't know about you, but I'm not aware of any really viable mock-up attacks against Face ID over all the years it's been around. There was some Vietnamese researchers, I think in 2017, who claimed that they could build a mask that would do it. But as far as I remember, people weren't able to repeat their results. So I think there was some suspicion that the person whose face was being cloned and the maker of the mask kind of had to collude in order to make the mask and the face line up nicely. So it seemed unlikely that you could just snap a pic of somebody and go out and then become them. And there was another one a couple of years later, some researchers at Chinese social media company slash cybersecurity company called Tencent, who figured out a, an intriguing but not very practical way to bypass what's called the liveness test. Because obviously you don't want, if you're having a nap, you don't want somebody able to pick up your iPhone or slide it out of your pocket, point it at your face, or or worse, that they beat you into unconsciousness, or even worse, that they murder you and then point the phone at your face. You ought to be alive. But these guys discovered if they put spectacles on the person, eyeglasses, modified those specs so they had little sticky tape over where their eyes would be and special reflectors on, they could, the face would match, but the, is this person actually awake, would be bypassed. So it's unlikely that anyone would ever register themselves with Face ID that way, and you'd have to be able to slide spectacles onto somebody who is asleep without them waking up. But those are the only two examples I've heard of uh, until now.
0: I would think that a very basic... I mean, the the mask thing is one thing, if you can get that to work, but I would think a very basic check would be, is this person's head moving at all? You know, you're always moving a little bit, so to, to point the camera at a 3D printed head that's not moving that that should be a dead giveaway so maybe it could have been something as simple as that like is this head just moving a little bit so we can tell that this person this is actually a person The, the bigger question i guess is how far back down the hole did apple whack this mole
1: yes that's what's missing from this apple said have admitted yes there was a problem someone was able to build a 3d model was it one of those things that takes some expert sculptor three weeks to make or is it something you can knock out on a 3D printer in half an afternoon? We don't know. And like you said, they tuned the model. So, uh, and by the way, the I meant the, the detection model, presumably some kind of machine learning configuration, so that it would correctly recognize these 3D models as not a real person. Yeah, but like you say, how much tweaking does this exact technique, since we don't know what it is, how much tweaking would it require? to produce a variant of the model that does work. And unfortunately, without knowing roughly how the attack worked, and I can understand why they don't want to reveal that in case it gives too much away, but without understanding that, yeah, it's hard to know how long it will take before someone is able to replicate this with a 3D model that does, again, bypass Face ID.
0: And you still need the phone. You can't just do it without the phone. It's not like you can't do this remotely. You need the phone.
1: Of course, you don't have to use Face ID if you don't want to, but it doesn't sound as though this is the sort of attack that just anybody could do at will, and even if they could, now they can't.
0: Okay, and this is part of a cornucopia of updates that came out at the same time, lest you think that they've only been working on a couple things. This was just like a flood of updates.
1: Yes, that's sort of what surprised me, is that if you remember last week on the podcast, we were talking about forced entry which was the uh, Citizen Lab bug, Pegasus-like spyware thingy. There was a WebKit bug that was also apparently in the wild and could be used to get remote control over your phone, I, in theory, could have been used to implant spyware. And so we were urged to update, and we indeed urged all our readers to update, kind of a, a nasty hole to have if there's a patch available. Well, it turns out there are actually loads of other patches for iOS 14, and slightly annoyingly, perhaps, last week, in Apple's security bulletin for iOS 14.8 and iPadOS 14.8. They only mentioned the two in the wild bugs. In fact, the bad and good news at the same time is that this bunch of security updates includes the list of all the other things they fixed last week. So I think it's kind of bad that they didn't mention that last week. It would be very, very handy. And it would probably have made it a lot easier to persuade people who were thought, oh, I'll never get hacked by Pegasus, I'm not important enough, made them think, you know what, there's more to this than meets the eye. Mm-hmm. The good news is it did focus people's minds on that fix last week. But you did get a lot more than just the two fixes that we thought it was all you about. You sure did. Uh, and so you, you got the security notification if you subscribe to Apple's email service, but uh, there is actually an update that you can get for iOS 14.8 because you've had it for a week already. And then there's a, there's a plethora of other stuff. There are fixes in Apple's Xcode developer tools because... When a new iOS or a new MacOS comes out, there's almost always an update to Xcode at the same time, because they ship all the, the header files and the new libraries and the new emulator skins and all of that stuff for the new version of the operating system, so you can develop for it. and that has some security fixes in it. And intriguingly, there's an actual update for MacOS, Big Sur and MacOS Catalina, the only two they still seem to support. There's an update called Safari 15. And I imagine that's a brand new version of Safari that brings it in line with the new Safari on iOS 15. And it's not just that it's new because it's Safari 15. It does actually fix quite a number of WebKit remote code execution holes over and above uh, the stuff that was fixed last week when the forced entry patches came out.
0: Okay. and as far as iOS 12 goes, can we call time of death on that now or what's... It's dead. It feels dead. Oh,
1: Doug, I'm, I wish I could say, and I wish Apple would come to the party on this. I know we said exactly this last week. My assumption was that the reason it didn't get an update last week is it's a week away from being dropped. Apple had this thing in the past, if you remember, they were always likely to support the, the current, the previous, and the pre-previous. That's how it always used to work on OS X in the old days. Now, if you look at the latest macOS updates, They're specifically mentioning Big Sur and Catalina, no others. So you're kind of thinking, okay, maybe it's current and previous. I'm just assuming that now iOS 15 is current, iOS 14 is previous, iOS 12 goes to pre-previous, no longer supported, falls off the end of the world. There won't be any more security fixes. But as we said last week, Apple's doctrine is, we will not tell you what's going on from a security perspective until an investigation has occurred and patches are available. And therefore, if there aren't going to be any patches, there won't be a security update to tell you that there aren't going to be any patches. <laughs> so it's catch 22. <laughs> if only they just say, yeah, sorry, folks. iPhone 6 and earlier, iOS 12, curtains closed. We won't be supporting you anymore. You can still use the phone at your own risk. Well...
0: So long, iOS 12. We hardly knew ye, except... I had
1: my iPhone 6 for seven years. It did not have a scratch on it, Doug. I was looking forward to carrying on using iOS 12 and hoping it would get pre-previous support. But about two weeks ago, I was involved in a bike accident. (laughs) My phone got smashed. Oh, (laughs) So I've got an excuse now. It still (laughs) works, but you have to basically go and pick glass splinters out of your finger yeah. after every time you well, use it. You <laughs> okay. know, the thing is, ah! <laughs> Other than that... Works great. It's in perfect condition. Okay. <laughs> oh, except for the fact that I have no idea whether the last update I got is the last update it will ever get yeah. before the screen falls apart.
0: Well, uh, that is iOS 15 includes Face ID fix for security bypass using 3D models, and it's time for the oh no of the week. This comes from Reddit, user the123king-reddit writes, a few years ago, we had some maintenance work while the site was quiet. It's much easier to work on stuff when there's no people there complaining that stuff doesn't work, of course. Anyway, I'm running around recabling and rebuilding computers, but we also have some telephone engineers in setting up a new network connection. I've given the engineer a key to our network closet and told him to get on with it and give me a shout on the radio once he's done.
1: Ooh, the radio.
0: Well, if that seems old school to you, wait till you hear the rest of this story. Much cable running and OS reinstalling later, I get a shout on the radio saying, I'm all done with the network now. I say, Roger, pop the key on my desk and I'll walk you out. And I meet the engineer on the way out and mutters some small talk and wish him well. Later on, one of my colleagues squawks across the radio. I can't get into the server, but it's up. I've got half a room of pixie booting from it. And he says, no, the key to the network room is broken. I can't get in. You can't get in the actual room, not the server. Our lovely network engineer had snapped the key off in the lock on the way out. And that's why after about an hour of drilling and 1,500 pounds later, we got a new fancy electronic lock on the network closet. So... All your cybersecurity, all your planning, that can all be thwarted by a broken key in a physical lock sometimes, Paul.
1: Imagine if that poor bloke had been, someone had been inside when the key saw <laughs> yeah. Annoyingly, it's probably a fantastic advert for the lock, that yeah. it was so time-consuming and so expensive and so complicated <laughs> yes. to get into the room when somebody had broken the key off in it. Yeah. And instead of going, that's the kind of lock we want, first thing is, oh, let's rip out that lock. Too safe, yeah. <laughs> too secure. Now we well, can. I hope that this was not sufficiently recent that it was in the early days or even the current era of IoT electronic locks, Yes. given the that some of them oh, man. that we have written about have lasted up to seven seconds.
0: Yeah, every time I see one of those, uh, you know, unlock your house remotely for your friends and neighbors, I, I just think that's, that's not for me because I know the firmware on that is just some off-the-shelf nonsense that no one's protecting. So.
1: Let your friends and neighbors unlock your house remotely for you. <laughs> yes,
0: exactly. <laughs> okay. If you have an no that you'd like to submit, we'd love to read it on the podcast. You can email tips at sophos.com. You can comment on any one of our articles or you can hit us up on social At Naked Security, please do, because it's less work for me. And we like hearing from our listeners and our readers, so.
1: And you can be anonymous, and or you could ascribe the story to an imaginary third party if it's actually your story and you're slightly embarrassed by it. It could have happened to a friend of a friend.
0: Exactly. We don't ask questions here. Um, that's our show for today. Well, we do, we do. <laughs> you just
1: don't have to answer <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <laughs>
0: that's our show for today. Thanks very much for listening. For Paul Ducklin, I'm Doug Amith. Reminding you, until next time, to stay, stay secure. secure.